Can you think of any people in the Bible whose plans failed? Can you think of anybody whose plans just flopped? Yes, Elsa. That's right, yes indeed. So Joseph's story shows us how the plans to get rid of him in a sense failed because God overturned it for his glory. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Who else? Satan's because in John um, Satan's plan to stop John from from going to God, but then he just but then he, but then his faith did not break, he just kept praising. Satan's plan failed. That's right. David. The Red Sea, yeah, so the plan to destroy the Israelites completely failed. And like, like those stories, we have many. Yes, Marco. Well, uh, I'm not sure that story is in the Bible, but we do have many stories in the Bible that show us how uh, plans of man just failed. And we see how Pharaoh tried to... Yes. Well, Moses, well, talking about Moses, you see... I don't mean Moses, I think it was David. Yes, well, there's many stories in the Bible. For example, talking about Moses, Pharaoh, Pharaoh tried to kill all the babies in the land, but he failed. He, he was fearing that the people would suddenly rise up against the nation or that they would escape them. But the Lord used Moses as a little baby and then grew to be a man and God used this man to save the people of Israel. Or we have, for example, Saul. Saul tried to destroy David, but God overturned it and placed David to become king. Or we find Herod, the same like with Pharaoh, tried to kill all the babies in the land and tried to destroy all the young uh, infants. Why? Because he feared the Messiah. But God overturned his plans and brought Jesus to safety into Egypt. And God indeed brought Jesus Christ to save sinners. You see, man's plan fails, particularly when he comes against God, because God's purposes will always stand. God's purposes will always remain. God's will will always come to pass. God's word will remain and nothing will stand against him. Even the sin of man, even the destructive sin of man. And that is precisely what we will be looking at from Genesis 21. That God's purposes remain despite man's sin. And so if you have a copy of the Bible, open up to chapter 21 of Genesis. We will see how God's purposes remained despite the sin in the land, despite the sin. Even of Abraham, because Abraham in chapter 20 was faithless. But God remained faithful. And chapter 21 shows us clearly that God's word will always remain or will always come to pass 
despite the man's destructive sin in the land. And we'll consider uh, these three, nar- three stories, uh, which is a narrative from the book of Genesis 21, but we will look at them in four different movements, uh, four different words, and I, I chose four Ps. Uh, we will look at promises, we will look at purposes, we will look at provision, and we will look at protection. Promises, purposes, provision, and protection. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we pray, Lord, that you may speak to us as we open up your word, as we consider from chapter 21 of Genesis what you have for us, Lord. We know, Lord, that your promises will stand. Help us to see that. We know, Lord, that your purposes will remain Help us, Lord, to trust your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you may open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And, Lord, we pray, Father, that we may not be like the foolish man who built this house on the sand, who heard the word and did not put it into practice. But help us, Lord, to be like the wise man who built this house on the rock, who heard And put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now as we turn to chapter 21. There there are. We will see in the opening verses of chapter 21. A threefold repetition happening a few times. And when you're reading your Bible. When you find a repetition of words. The author or in this case the, the Lord himself. Wants us to see something. And what the Lord wants us to see from these initial verses of chapter 21 is that God keeps his promises, that God's promises will always stand. And that is exactly what we see in this first few verses. We see three times we hear that God said and what he said came to pass. Three times. Look at the verse, verse one. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah As he had promised. Second repetition. Verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. In his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him. The Lord had said. The Lord had promised. The Lord had spoken. God's promises come to pass. They come to pass despite the frailty of man, despite the inability of man's body. You see, Abraham was an old man, verse 2 told us. But that fact is repeated two more times. So there's again a threefold repetition. We hear that Abraham was a hundred years old. Look at verse 5. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will love over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Old men can't produce children. And here we have an old man. And we have this threefold repetition that... God's promises stand despite the frailty of man. And God's promises stand despite the unbelief of man. And you see, 
three times we hear that the son was named Isaac. And that's very relevant because Isaac means laughter. Remember what happened a few years ago when Sarah heard that she was going to give birth? She laughed. And God said, stop a minute. Now your son will be called laughter or Isaac. And we see there again, verses three, four. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Verse three as well. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And then verse five, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God keeps his promises against the odds. God keeps his promises. A friend of mine had his car picked up by a mechanic for an MOT. He found online this company that did MOTs that they collect your car and they bring it the next day. They come and collect his car. Next day, nothing happens. Following day, nothing happens. He picks the phone. No one answers. He calls again. No one picks up. Leaves voice messages. Nothing. He thought for a moment he had been the victim of a scam. So after a few days, he goes online again through the system which he booked. And he finally found an email. So he sends them an email. The very next day, they call him and say, oh, we're very sorry. We've had some trouble and problem. He was frightened. Anyhow, there were problems with the car. They fixed it and they were able to bring his car. But you see, they failed to keep their promise. And, and, and if you have, have, have had situations like this, people have failed to keep promises to you. But we also have failed to keep our promises to other people around us. But God never fails his promises. Man may fail. But God will always keep his promises. We can trust God's word because his promises will always come to pass. But that is not what the world believes. The world does not believe God's word. And the world will try to sow doubt of God's word. In fact, the, the world will try to tell us that, that this is all made up. That these are all made up stories. They'll try to convince us of the, that, that they're ineffective and that it is pointless. They'll try to trick us with the old trick of, uh, of Satan towards Eve. Did God really say? And they'll try to deceive God's people. Did God really say? Do not be deceived. A dear brother in Christ became a Christian when he was just 13 years of age. And then a couple of years later, I met with him and I saw him. We had a chat and I said, how are you? He was in the dumps. He was very sad. He was downcast. He said, you know, I'm struggling with doubt. And I said, well, tell me about it. What's happened? And he explained that he had some conversations with a, 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 a family, a distant family member and started putting questions about this, about the very word of God. And this is why he was struggling with doubt. And I said to him, don't believe the old lie. Did God really say this is the word of God? And we can have confidence of the infallible and inerrant word of God. Why? Because God's word will come to pass. 
They'll say things like, man's problem is not sin, but rather the colour of one's skin. You'll hear that a lot today. People outside will try to convince us that what we need is not redemption from Jesus, but that we need is education into critical issues. The world will try to plant doubt in God's revealed word. But stop. We can trust in God's revealed word. 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. God spoke to prophets. Prophets wrote down what God intended them to keep. The Bible has the power to convert sinners and to edify saints. The word of God is is powerful. It is indeed historically accurate. It is powerful in his prophecy. And the spirit of God causes the word of God itself to, to bring life into our being. And so we can indeed with confidence stand on God's revealed word. The infallible and inerrant word of God. We can trust God's word. His promises will always come to pass. Trust his word. Trust his word. Trust his word. Now, like God's promises, his purposes will also come to pass. You see, sin complicates things. Sin messes up Lives, relationships. Sin causes trouble. Sin causes conflict. Sin causes havoc. Sin causes all kinds of problems. But no trouble will stop God's purposes. No trouble. Abraham's past sin is now affecting his household. He's got a child, 14-year-old child, with his wife who was a servant. Who took, whom he took as a wife, or Sarah gave Hagar as a wife, and now he has a child of the promise. And what's happening? There is conflict in the home. Now there's trouble. What will happen? Look at there in verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. So we have a fast forward. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing or mocking. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. You see, my friends, not only is there trouble in the home because of the sin of Abraham, his lack of faithfulness to God. Had he trusted God, none of this would be happening. Oh, but he goes and thinks he knows best and Sarah too. And now there's trouble. But there is another problem now. There is a problem of inheritance. Who is the heir? The older firstborn son or the younger Firstborn son to Sarah. There's a problem now. But God intervenes despite the sin. And through the sin intervenes and accomplishes his purposes. Look at there in verse 
12. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your, of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your offspring, be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. God intervenes to resolve the problem of inheritance. You see, in patriarchy, in Bible times, the patriarchy is, is biblical. And so in patriarchy, the firstborn son is the one who receives all the inheritance. He's the one who becomes the head of the house if the father dies. So God intervenes to protect Isaac and the inheritance. Why? Because Isaac is the son of the promise. And it is through Isaac, through through whom all the nations will be blessed. It is through Isaac that Jesus Christ came. But God does not abandon the other child. In fact, God makes this other child into a great nation himself. Nevertheless, sin messes things up. There's no sin. There is no problem. There is no war that will obstruct God's purposes. Oh, sin will mess things up. But God's purposes are inexorable. Inexorable means impossible to stop or prevent. God's purposes are inexorable. They cannot be stopped. They cannot be prevented. At home we've been reading through Esther and it is in the book of Esther that you read how Haman, the uh, Haggagite, wanted to, to, to get rid of all the uh, uh, people of Israel. And he planned and schemed and plotted. He wanted them all annihilated. And uh, as we've been reading through, uh, the children love the part where the king Ahasuerus is, 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 he can't sleep. And so he, he says, can, can I have the, the, the book of the Chronicles or the, uh, the accounts of, of, uh, of history of, of the land? And so they start reading to him the account and the stories uh, of what has happened in the past. And he hears that Mordecai, a guy called Mordecai, saved his skin many years back. And he wonders and says, who's this guy Mordecai? What honor has been given to him? And as he's wondering and pondering what honor, which no honor had been given to him, suddenly Haman, the enemy of the Jews, comes in through the courts and, and, and the king wonders who's at the courts. And they say, it's Haman. Oh, Haman, what shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman thinks, well, who will the Lord, will, who will the king delight to honor but me? And so he says, he's dreaming, oh, that, that, that the, 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 horse of the king be given and a parade be, be, be done to the man and he, that he may be clothed with the robes of the king and that they may say this is what shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor and then suddenly the king says what a great idea do that to Mordecai and the children love that it's, it's like a reversal of events but you see 
Even though the wicked Haman was trying to get rid of the people of Israel, he ended up a dead man. In fact, he ended up hanging on the gallows that he had himself prepared. And even though the word God does not appear in the book of Esther, it is clear that God was keeping his purposes throughout all the time, all the history. God protected his people. Sin will never be able to go against God's purposes because God's purposes are inexorable. Are you resting in God's purposes for your life despite the ups and downs? Are you resting in God's purposes despite your sin or the effect of sin of other people in your life? Are you resting in God's design for the world? Are you resting in God's design for your family? Are you resting in God's design for for your body? Or do you think you know best? Don't stand against God's purposes. Trust his word. Trust his word. Trust his word. So God's promises will stand. God's purposes will come to pass. And in the process, God's provision will never fail. Let us look there from verses 15 onwards. It is clear that Abraham's failure to trust God affected to the people around him. His lack of trusting God gave him a child with Hagar. Many years back. But Ishmael was not the son of the promise. Isaac was the son of the promise. So what God does now, he intervenes and he protects that promise or the inheritance. Because Isaac has now arrived. And as harsh as it may sound to us, Hagar needs to leave the household. Hagar needs to go in order to protect Isaac's inheritance. But God doesn't forsake her. Her faith in God, which we saw in in a brief form in chapter 16 of Genesis, yields fruit here. Although she's blinded by the unfair treatment towards her, because indeed it was an unfair treatment, she's now suffering the effects of someone else's sin. God cares for those who seek Him in their need. She may have tunnel vision. The only thing she may be able to see is the trouble and the problem she's in and nothing else, but God is there and will open her eyes to his faithful provision. Look at there in verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard The voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. 
for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. See what happens there. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. You see, she was, she was sitting by the well of water all along, but she couldn't see anything but the problem. And God opened her eyes to the well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. Verse 21, he lived in the wilderness of Paran, or Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Have you ever suffered injustice by the sin of others around you? Trouble? Suffering? Affliction? All that gives us tunnel vision, doesn't it? We can see nothing but just the problem, the affliction, the difficulty we're going through. It blinds us to everything around except for the trouble, the problem. But God cares for his people and he provides for those who seek him in their need. God delights in those who trust him and he opens their eyes to see his provision and his care for them. Don't be blinded under suffering. Trust his word. Trust his word. Trust his word. So, God's promises will stand. God's purposes will come to pass. And God's provision will never fail. But also, God's protection will bless the nations. That is the final point. God's protection will bless the nations. And we look at there from verses 22 onwards. Here we have an example of a pagan nation that are being blessed through Abraham. The pagan king Abimelech and his commander Phicol come and talk to him. That they want to have a peace treaty with him because they can clearly see that God is with him. And so they want a peace treaty. They want to be blessed through him. Verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Remember chapter 20, how he dealt falsely with Abimelech? Well, he's pleading, please don't deal falsely with me. Or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you. That that word kindly is a a very important word. It's heseth, which is God's faithful love or loyal love. And he's asking, be kind with me. That your faithful love be towards me. As I have dealt Kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now, before signing the contract, so to speak, which is what we call a covenant. And though they didn't use signatures back then, it was an an oath that they would take. Before signing the contract, so to speak, uh, Abraham brings an instance, an issue that happened uh, among 
Abimelech's people, that they, they seized one of his wells. And so he addresses that before signing the contract. Look at verse 25. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servant had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. That is a promise, a contract, an agreement. Verse 28. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that these may be a witness for me that I have dug this well. This is how they used to do it in the past. They would give a gift and that would be a, a it would ratify that they, they had indeed entered into a contract. Verse 31, therefore, that place was called Beersheba, which means the well of seven, or it can also mean the well of the oath. Because there, both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and turned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, it's a landmark, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. God's promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him happens in Jesus Christ the Saviour. But here we see a glimpse that this nation began to be blessed through Abraham. And so like this nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham because it is through Abraham. Isaac, Jacob and all the line down to Jesus Christ the Lord. The descendant of Abraham is Jesus and all the nations of the earth will indeed be blessed through him. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And joy to the world indeed will come through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, as we tell others of the good news of salvation, which is the great commission of our Saviour, we're telling people, whether high dignitaries, whether governors, whether low uh, ranking or even slaves, we are telling them that there's only freedom and hope and life in Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so we tell the kings and the nation of the nations, he's the son, Psalm 2 reminds us. And as we have prayed, God's protection will bless the nations in Jesus Christ the Lord. I wonder, have you received Jesus the Lord? Have you, has your life been changed by the powerful message of the gospel? The Bible tells us repent, which means turn away from sin. Turn away from that path of life. Not just the one time. Every day of your life. Turn away towards Jesus the Lord. The Saviour. God will bless 
all the nations through the everlasting God, the everlasting Lord, which is God, our Saviour. So trust God's Word. Trust God's Word. I opened this sermon by giving several examples of people that in the Old Testament and New Testament who trusted God, who, who did not trust God, sorry, and his word, and who tried to do their way, their life as they wanted, like a Pharaoh or a Saul or Herod. All throughout church history, we see many men and emperors that have tried to go against the Lord and against his word. People like Nero or Julian the Apostate. Or philosophers like Marx and Nietzsche or Satra. Or we have ideologies throughout our day, even today, like humanism or feminism or critical race theory. You see, nations will come and go. People will rise with their own ideas and philosophies and will go. Ideologies will stand and fall. Why? Because they're not rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus the Lord. Only Jesus is the rock of life. Only Jesus saves. Jesus Christ the Lord. The Lord of the world. So God's word will always come to pass. Despite the destructiveness of sin and man's ideas. God's promises will stand. Trust his word. God's purposes will come to pass. Trust his word. God's provision will never fail. Trust his word. And God's protection will come to all the nations in Jesus Christ the Lord. Trust his word. His word indeed. Let us pray. Father, we, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And we thank you, Lord, for your promises. We thank you, Lord, for your purposes, which will never fail. We thank you, Lord, for your provision, which will always be there for those who trust you. And we thank you, Father, for your protection to all the nations through Abraham. Father, I pray that you, O Lord, may... Enable us to trust your word. Lord, we are weak. Lord, we are sinners. We need you, Lord, every day of our lives. And we pray, Father, that you may help us and enable us to be the people you want of us, O Father, so that you, not us, be the one who receives all glory and honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.